0: For those of you who are fans of the MythBusters genre, well, today is your lucky day. That's right, in this very podcast, we'll dispel more than a few myths about technology adoption. And I've got to tell you, this conversation with Ellen Kumar, a solution architect and business executive for the Enterprise Technology Adoption Group within GP Strategies, really opened my eyes both to some cautionary tales related to large scale technology adoption, and more importantly, actions that can be taken to get things back on track. There's something here for everyone, so stick around, have a listen. Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello, and welcome to the GP Performance Matters podcast. If you're listening, well, it's time to put on your lab coat because we are going to do some heavy duty myth busting as it pertains to the world of enterprise technology adoption. I'm pleased to be joined by my fellow MythBuster and first-time GP podcast guest, Ellen Kumar. Now, Ellen is a solution architect and business development executive for the Enterprise Technology Adoption Group within GP Strategies. So it's safe to say she has a lot of insight to share with us. Ellen, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Michael. Good to be here.
0: Well, I'll tell you what here. We're here in StreamYard in our virtual studio, so I'm in Phoenix. My first question before we get into the meat and potatoes is, where's home for you?
1: Home currently is San Ramon, California. Um, It's about 20 miles east of Oakland,
0: and it's just a lovely place. Oh, it sounds amazing. Now, I've seen from your LinkedIn profile, it looks like we have a common Midwestern type of connection here, so it looks like you've done a lot of education in the Cincinnati area. Tell me a little bit about your background and and how you got to GP.
1: Sure. I am a Hoosier by birth, but all of my college education was in Southwest Ohio. Um, Engineering and chemistry degrees from Xavier University and University of Cincinnati and also University of Dayton. So that was really where I thought I wanted to spend my career and did, did begin the career there. But, um then we made a move to the East Coast for my husband's job, and I ended up laterally moving into learning and development.
0: okay, so you've been doing this for how long approximately have you been in l and d when you went over to the dark side from engineering yeah. to l d? How long now, Ellen?
1: I will say it has been more than twenty five
0: years. The reason I ask is that you know when it comes to technology adoption it's really nice to talk to someone who's been through the fire a few times in terms of seeing things, you know, there's that idea that experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Mm -hmm. And so we would love to have some of that wisdom and insight from you on, on this, this topic here. So the, the one question I wanted to start us out with here is it's, it's almost, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to do a little devil's advocate here because I feel like, you know, everyone has a a computer in their pocket, right? right? Everyone's using Teams or Zoom or Adobe Connect. I mean, we're living in technology. Heck, we're doing it right now here. So the fact is it's so prevalent, so pervasive in our personal lives. My question to you in terms of a myth here is, so is this something that should just be a given? Should it be assumed in this modern world that we're living in that people just adopt technology?
1: You might think so. And I have certainly heard that hypothesis from a lot of our customers. But my, my perspective is, you know, with personal technology, you can kind of play and, and, and go down and hit a dent and come back and around. But with workplace technology and enterprise platforms, there's complex business roles. To consider, and you're not always the decider of those rules. Somebody else has put them in place. So I think users need reference content to help them.
0: So for our listeners that are driving and they hear the word enterprise technology, let's just dispel that and break that down a little bit too. Sure. So when you say enterprise technology, give me a couple of examples of what we're what we're really talking about.
1: Absolutely. These can um, we also call them platforms. And they come from lots of different providers. So the names that many of us may be familiar with include, but are not limited to SAP, Oracle, Workday, Guidewire, Infor, Hexagon. I mean, there's lots of people that are making <laughs> and distributing platforms for organizations to use to run their business.
0: Okay. So in in the software world here, we're not talking about Instagram. We're talking about like aircraft carrier style uh, in in that kind of world. So pretty heavy duty thing. So I could see that as a case. So you're saying we need to have um, enterprise technology. We need to have some adoption and structure. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you would say If we need to have documentation, we need some support, what would be some tips and strategies? Excuse me, what would be some tips and strategies (laughs) that you would recommend for our listeners?
1: Well, I think there I'm gonna give you three points. And I really think that you need two of these three points in play at all time, or else it's gonna it's gonna fail. There's gonna be a a gap. Okay. Um, Reference content or you you know job aids or help for users. I mean, however you term it, it needs to be relevant to the users. It needs to be easy to access for users. And then I'll say painless or pretty painless <laughs> to consume. If I'm a user and I need to consume it, but it's taking me a minute to open the file. That's not painless, and I'll probably not go back.
0: I like that. I like yeah. that. And as someone a creative director, that's kind of been my job is to help. Uh, I, I kind of call it um, lead the elephant. I've heard that before in design thinking, um, is kind of leading that person. So if you're saying you pull open a job aid and it is it is a gory white yeah. uh, Word document that is just a wall of text? Maybe we're we're into a little bit of a challenge. Is that what I'm hearing you say?
1: Yeah, people will get discouraged, or they'll skim. They'll be like, "I gotta find what I. It's gotta be in here somewhere." But if it's taking them that long to find what they need to get their job done or their task completed, you you have failed as a design a designer of that. So you know that our group at GB Strategies we design, we develop custom content, then we figure out how to deploy it to make it relevant, easy to access, and easy to consume.
0: Okay. So I like those. What would be some things that you would say? Because I know you do quite a bit of solution architecting in this. Um, When you're discussing these three points with a client um, at that outset and you're not in the fixing mode, you've got that luxury of helping architect that vision. What would be some things you would recommend to them in the planning stages for that?
1: I would tell them not just to plunge in to to start creating content to take some time to do an assessment. We might call this a learning needs assessment and we assign a, a learning specialist to it or an instructional designer. Um, very closely tied to this is also something called a change impact assessment. You might assign mm. a change management professional to that. Maybe both those individuals go in and do a combination learning needs assessment and change impact assessment. And I, I normally start out suggesting or recommending that um, that approach that started the journey to prospective customers before they ever pay any money for us. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that's a great service here. So let me, let me think in a, about this. Cause I've been in this fire several times with different clients over the years. I too have about two decades in the L and D space here. So I, we could share stories on an, on another, um, another day with a couple beverages perhaps, but I was going to say this a lot of times we'll run into people that say, Hey, you know what? We've got a couple people that are absolute geniuses with this software, right? It's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've got some, I guess you call them super users or yeah. something. I don't know if that's the technical term, but what would you say would be some cautionary things regarding um, people relying on these super users to spread the word?
1: It's an interesting question, Michael. And I think super users are a critical piece of an adoption solution because, they know the people they know the software they're they're like in a very sweet spot but super users are not super humans and <laughs> you, if you either rely on them to be the primary font of knowledge like with nothing written or documented but hey just go to the super user they'll be you know well they may welcome the first several days or weeks of questions and then they start to get overloaded and burned out and they can't actually do their regular job so that's a caution with super users. Another caution is they may not be, have the patience or the time to adhere to design principles. You've been in instructional design. You know that it's important to not just document what to do, but in a way that's pleasing and easily accessible to the, the, the learner or the user. So if super users don't have the time, wherewithal to help people or to design content, they're in an awkward place themselves and they'll get right
0: yeah there's only so much of one individual to give so that might be something we can talk about here in a little bit in terms of some ideas but i want to get into a second myth that uh, we were kind of looking at in terms of these these ideas of of dispelling so i'm going to have you put on your lab coat again and think about dispelling this one so here is kind of a statement all right so Our users prefer online self-paced references, right? They're modern learners. They embrace this kind of world here. So there's no need to offer live training workshops or Q&A forums. What say you, MythBuster?
1: Well, I would say adults in the workplace have learning preferences. And we need to find out what their learning preferences are and how broadly those preferences range. It may be that the preferences are there because it's something innate inside them that they want to have a higher touch or maybe they need it because the change is so great. They're, they're reluctant to go and do self-study or self-guided learning without access to an expert. So I think you need to go and explore that in your learning needs assessment and find out who the audiences are, what ways they prefer to learn and then construct the solution, not say at the outset, our, our folks are so smart and so busy that they don't ever want to come together live there may be parts of the the change that you're um you know that you're taking them on through that they that will need a, a higher touch uh, focus group or workshop
0: then what would you say in your experience you know what we've kind of talked about is there's some individuals that They want to have a little bit of both, right? You want some live ones for some social connections, but you also want the on-demand pieces or the asynchronous job aids and things like that. Mm -hmm. What are you finding in your consultations to be the most common solution that clients are arriving at?
1: I often, I do find that people still um, want some expert-led workshops, most of them now, not just since the pandemic, but even in years prior, are now virtual um, workshops. It's rare that a client says we must have face-to-face live learning, but they will say we should schedule live webinars. And yes, we'll record those webinars, but we will offer them both ways. But that's not the be-all and the end-all. That's just kind of like the opening to the portal. And um, those live webinars can orient people as to what the rest of their references are, that they can go explore when the need Arises on the job, so it's a it's an entree into what the rest of the solution is. It gives people a chance to sit back, ask questions, you know, put them in the chat or connect with peers, connect with mm-hmm. and then do their self guided exploration um, at the time of need, at the point of need.
0: Okay, so that's it's sounding a lot like you know what we're getting so many requests for clients helping them arrive at this new modern learning journey. It sounds like in the technology adoption world, it's very similar. So uh, I'm sure you've probably heard the term blended learning, yeah. right? Is that kind of what we're talking about here? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's been, the, the term's been around a while. And the analogies that come with it have been around for a while. And I have to quote one of our other colleagues, Matt Donovan. Oh, yes. It's a great this is such a great analogy. It spoke to me. I'm kind of a foodie, so I liked it for that reason. (laughs) But he said that blended learning solutions, maybe they started out kind of like toss salads where you could see all the components, the job aids and the simulations and the instructor-led training on the plate. Like the carrots and the lettuce and the, you know, cucumbers. But now the most effective blended learning solutions are more like smoothies. You take all these components. Right. And you put them through a transformation in the blender and you get something out that's greater than the sum of the parts and more um, more effective. I'll use a food, you know, maybe more palatable. So.
0: absolutely I I love that and um you know I've had Matt on here several times so whenever you say the word matt donovan mm-hmm. my ears perk up because he's like EF Hutton right when he speaks yeah. he you doesn't. listen and that is that is a perfect analogy here so what what I'm hearing you saying is that when it comes to this concept of uh, really approaching and dispelling these myths you're really finding and recommending a lot of more blended solutions where it's you need a little bit of everything but then when you put it all together it's greater than the sum of of yes. any single intervention is that correct
1: that is correct in my particular set of peers that we the ones who specialize in learning for technology enterprise technology we say that if you're you're really missing the boat if you don't have some sort of simulations and or job aids available online as close to the point of application as you can. Sometimes even made, oftentimes embedded in the application. But if you can't embed it, at least it's there on a recognizable SharePoint link that people can get to easily.
0: Gotcha. So you're talking, either way, regardless, there's got to be a heavy bent towards learning in that flow of need, at the moment of need. It's like, that's when, just like me the other week when I had to repair my, um, my, uh, insincorator. I don't know if I can, I'm not endorsing insincorator here, but the fact is yeah. I'm underneath that thing with YouTube scrubbing through a video. That's a moment of need. And obviously that's, um, you know, if we could somehow get to that point with enterprise technology, you know, for a, a particular intervention, then I think we're talking the sweet spot there you are for guests, yeah. right? So and I'm sure we probably have some solutions if we dished later on here, but so I'm gonna get to a third myth here, Ellen, mm-hmm. and that is one that um, you know, I've seen this myth or this this position several times, and here it, here it is for us is the project team itself can author the adoption training, the adoption content i e we got this, we got people that know what we're doing. What say you to this? statement and this position? Is this fact, fiction, a mirage? What say you?
1: I I think mirage is a pretty good analogy. Um, In many cases, they have the knowledge. They definitely have the knowledge. But sometimes they're so deep into it that they can't rise up and remember what the users don't know. So their depth and (laughs) <laughs> and wanting to go so deep into it is not always the best things for users. Users are just like, just tell me what I need to do on this screen and then where I need to go next. I don't need to know the definition of every field. So that's one um, aspect of the problem. The other is that they're very, very taxed for time. And generally speaking, a project is on a schedule. schedule they have to be multitasking. And the last thing they want to do is adhere to those Design guidelines. <laughs> we need to. It's like why can't? Why do we have to do this? It's just another, you know, job somebody's put on.
0: I know how to do it.
1: <laughs> Users won't need that, um, and they tend to discount the needs of people who aren't on the project team who aren't embedded in the the activities. So it's just a very different mindset.
0: What I'm hearing you say is it's almost yeah. like the burden of knowledge, right? When you know so much, yeah, and like you're, you know, it's hard to go back to just day one of. Even something like PowerPoint, like right day one is how do I write text or insert a shape, and you know you're thinking of you know making these fantastic designs, and someone's like, I don't need that. I don't I don't yeah. need the the metacognition level. Just tell me how to you know uh, fix a mistake or something, right? So exactly. I can see where the instructional systems designer coming in at that level would be a huge value to listen to the SME. Uh, draw out what what the learner really needs at these tiered Mm -hmm. levels so i think you've you've adequately dispelled that myth for us on that end so let me get to another one and you know we are a global company I, i i think it's fair to say you've probably worked with your fair share of uh global with enterprise adoptions all kinds of different languages so here's one that i i feel like I'm interested to hear your opinion on this one is if English is our global language of business, my users shouldn't need any of the technology training translated. Am I right on that, Ellen? What do you think?
1: It's a tricky one because okay. they, they may hope or wish hope is not a plan, but they may hope or wish <laughs> that people will be able to navigate through English guidance, reference materials, simulations, et cetera. Um, if the business language is English. but you should address this in your needs assessment phase of a program. And talk to people who are close to users around the globe, um, different, the different and then explore all the roles, you know, factory, inventory managers, uh, people who just need to do requisitions, um, HR reps, you know, go through the, all the impacted roles and say, what's their comfort with speaking and reading and listening? in English mm. versus their local language. And you may uncover some needs for some of the content to be translated so that people will really feel grounded in it and comfortable with the new policy or process information that's being, you know, that they're being asked to do different than how they used to do their job. So I think you you have to take it, it's not an all or nothing. It's not translate the whole system of body <laughs> of knowledge. Or translate nothing i think you can select roles and needs and then localize them appropriately
0: and i can see in doing so specifically as you've been talking about a lot of this technology adoption is at that moment of need and you know if it's fatiguing for a learner to have to parse something in a language that is not theirs and they're seeing words that are technical that's going to cause a lot of frustration, and ultimately, for most of us, when, when you hit a wall, you just kind of quit. You give up a little bit, and we don't want that with, with yeah. adoption, obviously. So,
1: No, you don't. And so it, it may be as simple as facilitate some webinars in local languages. Take a selection of content and translate it. Um, I always ask, is the interface, is the enterprise technology going to be um, in local languages or is it all in English? And regardless of the answer there, um, selectively look at facilitation or audio or or written content being translated for different pockets of people. Because if you don't address it um, up front when you can budget for it, it'll be an unplanned and sudden, and certainly like a sudden urgent expense down the road. And and that's not the position you want to be in.
0: Ellen, you've helped us dispel so many myths today, so if I was driving and I wanted to know more about GP Strategies Technology Adoption Services, where would I go?
1: Easy answer, Michael. On the GP Strategies website, you go to Our Solutions and then click on Enterprise Technology Adoption, and that will bring you to a whole host of information. I also welcome any emails or phone calls. Um, So if you want to include my contact information, ekumar at gpstrategies.com is the best way to get a hold
0: of me. Perfect. We'll include that in there. Hopefully we won't get too much spam coming your way. But um, no, seriously, Ellen, on behalf of our many listeners around the world, I want to thank you for sharing your insight today. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.